Hi, hello, and welcome to In the Moment with Megan Bowman. I'm your host, Megan Bowman, and we are on Anchor.fm with Hawk Radio at HCC. And let me tell you that today we have the most amazing show and guest for you guys. Okay, so we're going to get started with our our normal stuff, right? Our headlines, our hot topics, some must-see television and movies that you have to see. And of course, we'll end today with our happy thoughts. But today, today we are talking to Eric Dorsa, who is a national LGBTQIA eating disorder recovery advocate. And they're the host of Queen and Sober, an Instagram live series with Eating Recovery Center. And Eric is an LGBTQ activist, actor, comedian, and drag queen who is currently living in Chicago, Illinois. I met him in Austin, Texas, because he's originally from San Antonio, and they are one of my favorite people in the entire universe. I mean, incredibly talented, incredibly funny, just amazing. So I am so excited for us to talk to them today. You are in for a real, real treat. Okay. It is going to be a great show. So stick around. We're going to take a break. I'm going to leave you with an amazing song that I'm sure you'll love. It'll pump you up. Haley Steinfeld, Love Myself. And we will be right back with our headlines and hot topics. Yeah. When I get chills at night, I feel it deep inside without you. Yeah. Know how to satisfy, keeping the tempo right without you. Yeah.
Welcome back. We are in our headlines in hot topics. And in case you couldn't, you know, get the vibe of today, we are going full LGBTQIA show. Everything is connected today. We are honoring it. We are celebrating it. And we are coming right on the heels of pride here in Tampa. So, we're going to start with our hot topics today. And this first story, honestly, it totally surprised me. I, I started seeing this trending on Twitter. And so I went and looked it out. And this story, and this was actually reported by CNN. Um, the rapper Little Na, or sorry, Lil Nas X released these shoes with another company called Mischief. Um, and he's calling them the Satan shoes. Now, these are super controversial. They are made using the Nike Air Max 97s. However, Nike has distanced itself from the design and is, I think, now actually suing the rapper about these shoes. He released 666 pairs on March 29th. They sold out in less than a minute. Now, the shoes have a 666 on them. They have a um, upside down star. They have 1018 on the side which refers back to the Bible passage, Luke 10, 18, that says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, each shoe's air bubble contains 60 cubic centimeters of red ink and one drop of human blood. Apparently, the makers of the shoe donated their blood to the project by using the little glucose blood testers that prick your finger. The shoes were priced at $1,018 a pair, also referring back to that passage from the Bible. Now, the shoes are black. They actually look pretty cool. There is um, a, a pendulum on it, like the circle and the star, and they're they're pretty much black. And... Um, 
they just have this gold. It's like gold on the top of the shoe. Now they've, they've already sold out. Um, so in response to all of this, cause you know, the media went nuts, right? Especially the conservative media. And they were just attacking them and saying that these are evil. And I mean, for me, right. I, I wouldn't buy them. No way. But if somebody else wants to wear them, cool, go for it. You do you, right? Um, so Lil Nas X came out. He posted a video to his YouTube account, and it's it's titled Lil Nas X Apologize for the Satan Shoe. When I got the story, it had over 1.8 million views. I'm sure that it's way past that. Um, in the video, though, the apology stops and cuts to his new song, Montero, Call Me By Your Name. So anyway, there was backlash over this. And Lil Nas X was quoted as saying, I spent my entire teenage years hating myself because of the stuff, expletive, y'all preached what happened to me because I was gay. He wrote, so I hope you are mad. Stay mad. Feel the same anger you teach us to have toward ourselves. So I'll keep you updated on what is going on with that. Um, you know, and <laughs> yeah. So I think it's interesting that Nike has distanced itself so much. And, um, you know, they're not usually one to shy away from controversy. So Anyway, so that is the Lil Nas X shoe coming out. If you're trying to get a pair, sorry, they are definitely sold out. So today we live in 2021. However, this law that the Arkansas governor signed feels like it's taking us back you know, to the 80s or 90s. Um, so an Arkansas governor signs a bill allowing medical workers to refuse treatment to LGBTQ people. Now, this is medical workers, okay? So um, Andrew DeMillo of the Associated Press wrote this article, and I actually picked this up on pbs.org if you'd like to read more about it. Um, but basically, basically, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson signed this law allowing doctors to actually refuse treatment to someone because of religious or moral objections. Now, this one thing that comes to mind, right, is the Hippocratic Oath. They take this vow when doctors become doctors that they will do no harm, that they will help people. And I just wonder, you know, so what? Like somebody came in and you could save them right there, but you object to them being gay? Are you going to let them die? So, you know, opponents of the law, including the Human Rights Campaign and the uh, ACLU, or American Civil Liberties Union, have said it will allow doctors to refuse to offer a host of services 
for LGBTQ patients. And I think even the Chamber of Commerce has opposed the measure, saying it sends the wrong message about the state. I, I truly, I, I'm just, I'm honestly, I'm blown away that this is happening. You know, um, I think when it comes to our conscience and how we treat people, this just is truly appalling to me. So I do hope that this bill gets overturned right now. It is, it is simply another brazen attempt to make it easier to discriminate against people. And hopefully, like I said, this will definitely um, be overturned. I know on Monday there is a final vote scheduled that would prohibit gender-confirming treatments and surgery for minors. And um, anyway, I again, this one, oh, this one just got me a little bit. So not super happy about that. Now, of course, we all know Derek Chauvin is in court right now for the death of George Floyd. As that progresses and the, um, you know, the trial goes on, we'll let you know updates. Um, basically, his prosecution in the opening arguments of the murder trial, former, pro, um, you know, the prosecutor came out and said that the former Minneapolis police officer broke departmental rules and showed a disregard for the life of George Floyd when he pinned him down in the street last year. So we'll see how that comes. Um, you know, I think, I think that Derek Chauvin is the only police officer who is facing criminal charges for the death of George Floyd. Now, what he is facing are three criminal charges, second degree murder, which is unintentional while committing a felony, third degree murder, perpetrating imminently dangerous act and in, uh, invincing depraved mind, second degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, negligence, creating unreasonable risk. So we will see what the jury decides and we will, we will update you once we have more information on the trial happening. Okay. So giving you guys a couple hot topics and headlines. I am just so excited for this interview coming up. We're going to go into our must see television and movie, of course, all LGBTQ themed when we come back. Um, in the meantime, we're going to take a break. Please enjoy Taylor Swift's song, You Need to Calm Down, and we will be right back. You are somebody that I don't know, but you're taking shots at me like it's Patron, and I'm just like, damn, it's 7 a.m., Say it in the street, that's a knockout But you say it in a tweet, that's a cop-out And I'm just like, hey Are you okay? 
depression, but I've learned a lesson that's stressing and obsessing about somebody else is no fun. And snakes and stones never broke my bones, so. Welcome back. You are listening to In the Moment with Megan Bowman. I, of course, am your host, Megan Bowman. We are on Hawk Radio at HCC on Anchor.fm. We are coming with our must-see. And guys, I have four TV shows for you guys. Um, They are fabulous. So I hope that after listening, you will go out and you will find these shows immediately. So our first one is with comedian Tig Notaro. And if you haven't listened to her, please, please, please go YouTube some um, clips of her. She is absolutely hysterical. Her dry behavior or her dry comedy is just, um, it's hysterical. So I definitely fell into a rabbit hole after watching her show, One Mississippi. Now, you can uh, stream it on Amazon Prime Video. It is an incredibly funny dramedy 
where she returns to her hometown in Mississippi after her mother dies and she battles a bout of cancer. Now, season two is a hot, hot show. It is inspired by the sexual misconduct of Louis C.K. While he was actually still a producer on the show. It's captivating, it's bold, it's smart, and I gotta tell you, it is definitely binge-worthy. So go watch it. One Mississippi. So our next show is on Netflix, because what isn't on Netflix now? And it is called Pose. Now, this is a groundbreaking series capturing the 1980s New York ballroom scene. It includes the Broadway megastar Billy Porter, okay, from Kinky Boots, and it hosts five transgender castmates. It's largely written and produced by members of the LGBTQ community, and it also covers hot-button topics. This is definitely a bingeable show, so get out there, watch it every single episode. It is so thought-provoking. It is the artistry in it is amazing and you will love it. Again, that is called Pose on Netflix. Get out and go watch it, but not till you're done with the, the show. <laughs> okay. This next one is also on Netflix and it is one of probably my top shows up to date of all time. You know, um, yeah, <laughs> Shit's Creek. Now, if you haven't watched it, I don't know where, like, what rock you've been hiding under, but you need to go and you need to watch every single episode. And unfortunately, this past year was their last season, so the show is done. But that also means the entire series is available to watch. So you could watch it one weekend, but you'll miss it. Honestly, take your time. So this rich family basically loses it all. All of their stuff gets taken by the FBI. And they end up moving to a city that they bought as a joke called Shit's Creek. Now, it's spelled S-C-H-I-T-T, -T, not the other way. Um, the show was created by Eugene Levy, who is the American Pie dad, right? And his son, Dan Levy. And they both act in the series as father and son. Now, one of my favorite actresses besides like Parker Posey is Catherine O'Hara and she is Dan Levy's mother in the in the series and she is truly in her best form as Moira Rose hysterical I mean I I I don't think I've laughed this hard watching a show than I have in this and and she is brilliant as Moira and I mean some of the outfits and wigs that she wears are just <laughs> amazing so this show like I just said it is amazing 
laugh out loud. Again, thought-provoking and truly one of my favorite shows ever. But here is something wonderful. Yes, the series is done, but when you finish and only after you finish, go to their YouTube and they have these quarantine edition vignettes for even more hilarious content. Now, it's not a full show, but it is small little um, bits, you know, little sketches. And so I definitely recommend going to watch that. I'm going to actually play this song for you guys really quick from Schitt's Creek. And it is Dan Levy's, whose name is David in the show. It's his sister, Alexis. And she is, you know, trying, she tried to put, have a music career. And this is her song. So I'm going to play you this quick song and we'll come back and finish out our must see. So that was a little bit Alexis by Alexis Rose, and that is from the show, and there is just so much more, so go watch it. All right, our last must-see show that I feel like is such a staple, at least in my home it is, RuPaul's Drag Race. Now, RuPaul has been around since the 80s. She is one of the most arguably, most famous drag queens there is. Gorgeous, okay? So this show, you can stream it on VH1 or Logo, and it is a reality drag competition. This has created a true pinnacle for queens and a platform um, to spread the word about this amazing art form. Um, where these queens lip sync literally for their lives on the show. Michelle Visage is a judge. Also, the original Queer Eye cast member, Carson Cressley, joins RuPaul to find America's next drag superstar. Now, this very addicting show has little, um, you know, tests for them. They've had to create music videos. They've gotten to work with uh, Travis Wall 
an Emmy award-winning choreographer to learn choreography. Um, they've made comedian shows. They've recreated Hollywood squares and, and they create their looks, everything in this, you know, time period where they're, they're in this show right now, not to be cliche, but this show will definitely have you yelling. Shantae will stay. <laughs> All right, guys, those are our must see shows. One Mississippi on Amazon pose on Netflix Shit's Creek also on Netflix and RuPaul's drag race on VH one and logo. When we come back, we are talking to Eric Dorsa, one of my favorite drag Queens in the whole world. And we, the conversation is going to be so great. I'm so excited. Make sure you stick around, come back and this break, we're going to listen to Supermodel You Better Work by RuPaul. We'll be right back. You better work.
I have one thing to say. You better work. Hi, welcome back to In the Moment with Megan Bowman. I am, of course, your host, Megan Bowman. We are on Hawk Radio on HCC on Anchor.fm, and we are joined by my amazing guest, my favorite person in the whole entire world, Eric Dorsab. They are a national LGBTQIA eating disorder recovery advocate. They are the host of Clean and Sober, an Instagram live series with Eating Recovery Center and Pathlight Mood and Anxiety Center. Eric is an LGBTQ activist, actor, comedian, and drag queen currently living in Chicago, Illinois. As an advocate for the LGBTQ community, Eric shares their experiences of eating disorder recovery, coming out as gay and non-binary person, and their recovery from substance use disorder. Eric has been featured on Texas Public Radio, Worth Repeating, Mental Note Podcast, Drag Queen Wisdom, Huffington Post Queer Voices, and has given an award-winning 2014 TEDx talk entitled, How Dressing in Drag Made Me Uncover My Authentic Self. You can also connect with Eric on Instagram at FKDrag. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Oh my God. I'm so happy to be here. I got my coffee. I got, you know, my beanie on because Chicago is still freaking cold, even in April. So it's cold here today too. In Florida? Yes, it's like 75. Oh my God, shut up. <laughs> I hate you. It was 28 degrees yesterday. And I called my friend like being like, this is what I get. This is what I get for trying to be different and moving to the big city. Like I want to just die. It's so cold. So you're in Chicago. Mm-hmm. How long have you been in Chicago? Well, minus the year of quarantine, which is like a black hole. No, Nobody's going to count. Uh, I know. It's so crazy. Um, in August, it'll be three years, but I'm, I'm actually moving to New York one day shy of my three-year anniversary living in Chicago. So, What? Are you yeah. in the city? The city, the New York City duel. I'm going to go there. So excited. The best of the best of societies in New York and the worst, you know, all the rich, evil people. <laughs> so, um, but it, it's just COVID created a vacuum. You know, it created a vacuum where all of the artists and all of the the working class people couldn't afford to stay in the city and had to go. And what a unique time to be able to move back into this city and be on the ground floor of rebuilding some of my favorite industries, drag, comedy, food. And I miss it. I miss the public transportation. I miss the people watching. I mean, I, of course, when I lived there, I went for dance, you know, and- It's um, every artist's dream to, I mean, it's every artist's dream. There's Broadway, I mean, the but, you know, gosh, I remember the day Broadway went dark. It was like, I didn't even live there and I cried because I know what, 
for Broadway to close, ugh, it was like, this has got to be, this is a big deal. Something totally. Happening. I mean, all of the comedy theaters closed here. My drag show is shut. I mean, everything happened on the same day, March 17th, 2020, to be exact. I found out that my school was shutting down. I don't know what the correct term is, like not indefinitely, but like to be continued. They didn't know when they were going to, when we were going to resume. We were on like a minimum three week hiatus. I like which, hitting the pause button. Yeah. Everything was paused, but you know what wasn't paused? My tuition. They still wanted me to pay for school that I didn't get, and I'm still fighting them for that. So, you know, oh, wow. we'll, see, we'll, see if, we'll see if she can win. <laughs> That's my but, birthday. The 17th? Oh, yeah, my gosh. St. Patrick's Day. My little oh. Irish baby. It was St. Patrick's Day. They did that on purpose because they didn't want anybody going out to the bars and spreading the virus, which I completely understand. And so that day I found out school was like, no mas, drag show, no mas. Um, and my restaurant was like, we have to close starting tomorrow for a minimum of two weeks. And I like went home and was like, okay, this is actually happening. It was really scary. Cause you know, this was, we didn't, we didn't have the measly stimulus. You know, we didn't have the beefed up unemployment. We didn't have we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know how sick people were going to get. Like, we just didn't know. And I was just sitting on the edge of my bed with all of this fear. And I just remember thinking, you've, you've faced harder things, you know, like with, between your eating disorder and coming out and your family and not knowing how to love you or accept you or you know, like you, you have a, you're not going to go through this alone. Thank God you have a community of people who know exactly who you are, who know exactly what you're going through, who are going through it too. I'm obviously, you know, I'm sober. So I'm talking about my sober community and my sober community of Queens. And we just found a way to, we found a way to sit in the discomfort and the uncertainty and really lean into our recovery together well and I'm sure if anything that only made it stronger absolutely when I got my shot on Wednesday I cried like these I was like it was it was like you did that you stayed sober you I mean I had friends I've had friends this pandemic who've committed suicide I've had my sponsee overdosed in April and is no longer with us like I've just seen this this time in human history have a profound effect on people that I really care about. And I was sitting in that chair and poor Natasha, my military nurse, I'm just like crying. <laughs> I'm like, it's not because I'm scared of you. It's just been a, it's been a year. I'm sure you get this a lot. Okay. And, um, but it was like, I'm just so proud of myself for staying sober, staying kind, staying open, making space for people, not, not shutting my heart, or my recovery away, but like really leading with it and realizing what it, that I didn't, I didn't just decide that, that that was given to me by other people who you know, that we all know through Dragoween. Yes. Um, and it was just, yeah. So enough about the virus because <laughs> we talk about it way too much. Let's talk about us. Um, but you're so, I mean, you're so right, but 
yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we're on the tail end and totally we will keep, we will keep pushing forward. So, okay. You had mentioned Dragoween. This is actually how, well, kind of how you and it's how you and I came together, but I actually met you at the conference. Mm -hmm. I believe it was right. Was it the February one? It would have been at that hotel. Yeah. Was it when I had the like pink hair and the spacey, it was the roundup, wasn't it? Yeah. I, it was like boat sailing or. Totally. Yep. That's where we met. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah. okay, so I'm super pregnant. I'm eight months pregnant. <laughs> right now? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's start a scandal. Never again, never again. We we had we made sure that medically that could not happen. Um proud of you. Two and done. Yeah. Um, so I was eight months pregnant. I'm sitting at this table and I've got the chair of Dragoween beside me, Omar, for that year. And then I've got Marcus on my other side. And you come on the on the stage and I was like, okay, I have to have him. And they're like, what? He lives in San Antonio. Like he's probably not even gonna be able to come up to Austin. I was like, no, let me go talk to him. Like I was pregnant and not taking no, you know? And like, after I remember just walking like, straight up to you and I was like Marcus make an introduction he's like this is Megan you know and I was like I I have to have you and anyway you were so gracious and so kind and I don't even know if you remember that interaction but I was I left like I called Matt my husband and I was like oh my god this is gonna be the best show ever and then it it turned into like you helping me create the script basically writing most if not all of it and it was me, you, and Shell. Like, oh my God, it was so great. It was, I mean, I think the greatest gift you can have as an artist is the ability to collaborate with people who bring things out of you that you didn't even know you had. Like, that is, I think, the biggest gift as an artist. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's some artists out there who are like, the checks are nice, but like, what is the point of doing, I don't know. I think for me, and 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 I'm really grateful that you came up to me because I don't know if you knew this at the time, but like, I, I've always struggled with self-worth because I come from a family that was like, you need to be straight, you need to be masculine, you need to be Catholic, you need to, and so I grew up my whole life not knowing thinking that all of these things that people see on stage and all of these things, you know, the wigs and the makeup and the jewelry and, you know, yes, it's a costume, but it's also like my insides being on my outsides. And like just meeting artists who affirm that and celebrate that and say, okay, like we're not even going to, we're going to completely blow past this fear or insecurity and you're going to do things that you've never done before and we're going to help you do them well. It's just like, there's no greater gift than that as an artist, I think. So thank you for seeing something in me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I, well, no, thank you because honestly, like you were so inspiring to me and I think, 
it, it was such a beautiful experience getting to work with you through everything. Um, and, and for those of you who don't know, Dragoween exists as a fundraiser for the Austin Roundup that is, I guess it's a nonprofit, right? It's a nonprofit. Yeah. The Austin Roundup is a nonprofit that hosts. So think of it as like Austin Roundup is the house that AA rents or the 12-step programs rent to throw a big party. It's a way to keep the money and the politics separate from so it never tarnishes the actual recovery, which I think is beautiful. I think how AA and the 12 steps, any 12-step program operates is just so beautiful. You know, it kind of comes together and builds something and then completely dismantles it. So there's no like power structure or anything ever to like. So, but it's this big conference for the queer community who identify as being in recovery. And, you know, it's, it's a way to keep it open and keep it broad and, you know, keep it roomy for anybody and everybody who identifies with wanting that kind of recovery and path and community. And every year there's this giant drag fundraiser called Dragoween and there's always a theme and it's not just, it's not, it's like the biggest drag show, I would argue. In Texas. In Texas. No, it is. A fact. Yeah. And it's, and it's, professional dancers and it is professional like choreographers and lighting and there's a storyline to it and it's this full-on production everybody is a volunteer everybody is a volunteer that's that the most beautiful the, part yeah, exactly everybody is a volunteer and we're talking months of your life you know Please, inhaling yeah, inhaling in. hairspray fumes like right. i mean oh my gosh yeah, backstage is a whole different story. That probably is not appropriate for <laughs> this, audience. <laughs> this audience. What happens backstage stays backstage, backstage yeah. unless it's on camera. <laughs> then all, all and then you're getting your a kicked if you try to all is that. fair. Um, yeah. So anyway, like so, we met in Dragoween, and it was beautiful. And then I brought you again into the dance project, which. Yes. You know, is this actual professional dancers, like a lot of them. And um, Eric came in as Fonda Cox. Yeah, Fonda you're, Cox, you're, my drag persona. Yes, and she became a rockette. An actual high-kicking rockette. And it was- Got that out of me. Fabulous. Have you seen that? Have you seen the video? I have. I actually used clips of it in my RuPaul audition and, and I'm still not, I don't, I don't know. I, that show is so a dream of mine, but we'll see. I'll write a letter. Uh, yeah. Not, not they'll read it and be like, okay, thanks. Well, you <laughs> but, know, I will say, I mean, look, I don't believe in false modesty. Okay. If you got it, you own it. I, I know that I'm funny. I know that I'm pretty because I've been working on my makeup skills. Like, and I know that I can, you know, do a little pot de beret, pot de beret, fan kick, fan kick. <laughs> I found a way to put that in there. Um, and, but you know, I'm not this dramatic 
not well <laughs> version of myself. You know, I, I feel like I've had too much therapy for that show. That show really has become a reality show where they want the drama and they want the like bitchy, you know, that like desperate, not desperate, well, yeah, desperate, but the yeah. real housewives drama. Of course. And yeah. I would just be on the side. Right? I would be like, did you forget to take your medication today, sweetheart? Just sipping my <laughs> cup of tea. Like, I'm not going to get in that ring, you know? Yeah. So we'll see. Um, we'll, I'm never, I'm not going to stop. You know, I know queens who have auditioned like eight or nine times and then they get on. I know queens who have auditioned one time and they got on. My best friend's been on it like four times. <laughs> so who Juju, Juju B, right? My friend Juju B, I love her so much. She, oh. I would say Juju B is probably like the heart, I don't know, the heart and soul of that entire franchise. And that's why they have her come on so much. I mean, not only was she an original, but she's just a class act, you know? Yeah. So for those of you who don't know the show, what's your, what are you waiting for? It's like arguably the best show on TV. Seriously, I actually talk about it. We have a segment right before this called Must See. And I talk about RuPaul. What else? Yeah. Oh, and of course, Shit's Creek, which- Oh my God, yeah. I binged like three times during quarantine and you know. You know, if you are wanting- as a girl. <laughs> Jazz a girl. Oh my gosh. I know. Did you see? Okay, because you're a dancer. You got me to believe that I could be a dancer. As you a matter of fact, can be. When I went to, when I moved to Chicago to finish school, finish the schooling, darling, I, uh, I took two years of jazz. <gasps> That's amazing. And I was starting to take jazz at the Joffrey School when COVID hit. And well, in Chicago, you have some amazing artistry and dance, like reputable, legit mm -hmm. companies who have been there forever. You're gonna have to give me some recommendations in New York because oh, I'm, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's, let's talk about this. So we, you applied into RuPaul and of course we're gonna sign a petition to get you in. Mm -hmm. so that's gonna happen mm -hmm. but how did you actually get started in drag yeah yeah oh man okay so is that a loaded question is that a long story no it's not loaded it's just I'm trying to think you know because it doesn't just begin with the end result you know I feel like drag especially the authentic experience of it, you know, the, the experience of the boy or girl or a, a non-binary, whatever person, the person underneath is, you know, there's usually like little things. Um, so I would say I started beginning drag when I wanted an easy bake oven at four. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, um, I did too. I never got one. Ah, oh, this is the best thing. I, I like found a way I've always been a hustler and I found a way to get, I found a way to convince my parents that it was the best thing for me. Um, I think, okay, so here's what happened. RuPaul's Drag Race, I'm like 20 years old. It's like season two. I see Jujube and Raven. I'm not friends with Jujube yet. I mean, just throw this out there. On season two and it just changed my life. My best friend, you know, was like, 
you just light up when you watch this show. Like, I think you should, I think you want to be a drag queen. And I was so terrified. I was like, you know, still had the voice of the devil in my head telling me that I was going to hell. Like, I was just like a couple of years in eating disorder recovery at that point, had only been out of the closet for like two. And my friend was like, just let's, let's do it. And so I put on my friend's Liza Minnelli dress <laughs> and just like put on, we put on makeup. It was not pretty. I was like, I'm an ugly woman. I'm never doing this again. And, but the seed was planted, you know, and, and it was kind of a, in the beginning, it was really hard. And I'll tell you why, because there was this demon in me that felt so alive and wanted more, but was so terrified of what it would mean for me in my life, what other people would think. Like, it's hard enough to convince my family to like, be okay with me being a homosexual, but like now a homosexual that wears women's clothing. Oh no. <laughs> And well, you know, and I like, so, okay. I watched your TEDx San Antonio and I have a clip lined up um, that I want to play, but in it, you say that drag is the journey that literally saved your life. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, th that's pretty powerful. Because it, it, you know, it, it really liberated me from the things that were telling me to kill myself slowly, that I wasn't worthy of love, that I wasn't worthy of connection, that I wasn't enough, that I wasn't good enough, that I was too much for people. All of these things that, you know, I were disconnecting me from why we're here, which is to feel loved, to feel connected, to feel nurtured, to feel celebrated. You know, it's like not giving a plant food and water, it's gonna die. Right. And, um, and so I had spent years kind of being in the wrong drag. You know, I'd spent years trying so hard to be what I thought I needed to be for God to love me. Um, I thought I spent years trying to be what I needed to be for my family because, you know, to a child, acceptance is safety. And, um, you know, growing up in a very Mexican Catholic traditional home, like, I was everything that was wrong, <laughs> you know, like being a queer, effeminate child. Um, and when I started doing drag, it was, it was like this desperate attempt to finally feel something worth living for. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was just like, just enough. It, every time I did it, it cracked the door more open for the light to get in. And it brought me to life. And it also, you know, the other side of that is it illuminated all of the parts of my life where I was not authentic. Because, you know, here you are, I'm putting on this costume to be all the things that I thought I always wanted to be, which is powerful and confident and beautiful and sexy and alive. But I'm telling myself it's just a costume. Yeah. And so then when I would take it off, it was like I was back to being Eric, who I didn't know how to love, believe in, accept. And it, it just magnified that for me. And it made me confront the reality of, of why I felt the way that I was feeling. And it made me choose. It was like, well, if you can have this as Fonda, you already have it as you. Yeah, because you were the same. 
Mm-hmm. Let me play, I'm going to play this clip real quick because I feel like this is a perfect segue into what I picked from okay. I'm, I'm from TEDx. And I'm going to actually let it play a little bit longer because the second half of this, just you like, oh, it made it made me laugh, but also, okay, here we go. Okay. We get lost playing a character living in a make-believe world with other characters instead of a true actor on a stage. Dressing up in drag is and continues to be the ultimate act of rebellion for my Latino, Italian, conservative, Republican, Catholic, South Texas family (laughs) that I was born to be a part of. Yeah, oh girl. my gosh, I it's like da, 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 da. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, labels are real important. And you know, I think we should learn to evolve past them, but also like we have to be able to understand how labels that were created by people of power have impacted other people. Yeah. And it's kind of and so I say that because it's like you put all that together and it paints a very clear picture of what I was up against, you know, I was up against a lot. It wasn't just one singular source. There were, mm -mm. there were many different things. And honestly, like, you know, yes, that last bit gave me a chuckle, but in in the big scheme of things going through that in that period, that can be a very scary beast to be up against. And, um, but the first words that you said, lost playing a character living in a world of other make-believe characters instead of a true actor on the stage yep like hit me in like my gut you know because i mean we've both been performers for a while and i think that you know i know you've always been outspoken about your struggle with eating disorders um I also, I also did. And it was this issue of trying to be as thin as possible to be what society felt I should be while on stage, instead of just embracing like what I look like. And if you like it, you like it. If you want to buy it, buy it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it grew to a place where I began hating myself off of I- the stage. I'm shaking my head. Yes. I, you know, I, I've been doing this for a while, you know, being public about my story. I've been, you know, recovery is never done, but I'm, I'm not in my eating disorder anymore. Now I'm in my recovery. So I don't forget what it was like. Um, I hope I never do because there's some very valuable lessons in, in what I went through. However, it doesn't mean that that demon doesn't show up. And what's interesting in what you said is so many people think eating disorders are about vanity. They're not, they're about control and worthiness. And when you put it in that context, what is someone else's eating disorder is someone else's workaholism is someone else's codependency is someone else's, you know, it's, I, at the core, I believe I'm not enough on my own and, and the shame around that. And now let me find something that can outside of myself, that can make that go away yeah and for me there was a rush because i wasn't um i struggled with bulimia and it would be i'm gonna eat everything and there was this 
how much can I get back up? And this rush that I would feel after. My friend who is an actress, um, also in recovery for many years, like double digits. And, you know, she would, she said it in a way that I related to. I don't, I'm, I'm not saying that this is true for everybody. I do believe that there's things that everybody can connect with. We're all, we're all kind of facing the same story in a different way. But it was like when that pain and that fear and that voice of not enough would get so loud, she would shove it all in. And then, you know, the, the act of purging, that, that violation of your body and your humanity was a form of punishment that allowed you to kind of reset. Yes, and if I could add to that, because that's 100% true, it's also a way to expel those feelings. Yeah, um, but you're not actually like working through them or challenging mm-hmm. them. It's, it is a very, it is a very painful and honestly misunderstood disease. I think so many people still think that it's about vanity and it is not about vanity. It is about pain. I mean, I would say probably at the height of my depression, that's when it was worse. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, and then there would be this guilt that would follow, right? Like, oh, this will make me feel better. And then yeah. do it. And then all of a sudden now, I feel even worse because I did it. And I, I know it's like, you know, it's like smoking cigarettes, right? I mm-hmm. know this can kill me, but I feel good right in this moment. And I'm not thinking about the fact that I could potentially get lung cancer, right? I'm not thinking that I could get, my esophagus could get eaten away from acid. I'm not mm-hmm. thinking about that. I'm no. thinking about how I'm gonna feel but then I feel even worse. And it's just this like cycle. It is. Uh, I think what's interesting, you know, as an eating disorder advocate, I am armored with facts and statistics dueling, but I'll spare everyone all of that stuff. I'll just say this. Shame exists in the cycle and eating disorders are fueled by shame. Addictions fueled by shame. Um, this idea, you know, and, and not all of it is, not all of us are so lucky to have some kind of process addiction, which is what I would consider an eating disorder, smoking, gambling, sex, work, all that stuff to like call us out on it. There's even deeper ones, which is pretending that we have to be something that we're not and living the completely opposite life of what we were what we were hoping for, what we were dreaming for, because we just want to be accepted, you know, or like, I mean, that is the ultimate kick in the stomach. And I think for me, my addiction was pointing that out. Hey, you are going so far in the wrong direction from who God made you to be. And I needed to fundamentally break down to the core and the foundation of my beliefs because they were all against me. None of them were for me. And when I really got to like my belief in God, which is, or, you know, not necessarily that I believe in a God, but what I had been taught about God and the power that I was giving these beliefs in my life, you know, 
has nothing to do with actually being a God. It has everything to do with my power and where I was getting it from. It hated me. So what's the point of living? What's the point of having hopes and dreams and you know, putting your face in the sunshine when at the end of the day, you believe that you are nothing and you are going nowhere? And that was the gift of my addiction. And I hate to make it so deep with coffee, no, at least, I, you know, but that's the reality. And I think so many people, when you break it down, what do they say, like brass tacks, when you break it down, that's where I think a lot of what I was talking about in my TED Talk was. The ways in which we dress up to mm -hmm. avoid these painful fears and these things that we believe make us unworthy. So we start to pretend and then we live in a world that validates pretend. It well, and says, then you feel shame, right? You feel shame and so you act out. You act yes. out in ways that validate that shame. Yes. Shame says you're not enough, you're not good, you're bad, you're flawed, you're defective. And so then you find these behaviors, eating disorder, whatever, and you say, yep, this is proof. And the cycle continues. You know, you said something in your talk that shame is the bully that drags me to the closet and keeps my door shut. Yes. And again, like, you know, the whole talk, I mean, definitely if you can go to YouTube, search Eric Dorsa, TED Talk, and actually I'll share it on our Facebook page, shameless plug at In the Moment with MB. <laughs> um, but... <clears throat> You know, the whole thing is just so powerful. And through the end, you you strip it down mm -hmm. to show. And like what I got from it is that they are one and the same. They are. I've learned to accept and, and be your authentic self when you're performing. And it is you. And there is no difference than when the wig is on or when the wig comes off. And I mean, you know, to be completely honest with you, Eric, that's what I saw that night at Dragoween, like your authentic self, you, and how beautiful of a person inside and out. Yes, honey, you are gorgeous. <laughs> no? I got the legs. Okay. I mean, I, oh my gosh, we had that conversation and I still have some Sally Henson, like super because I'm like, how well are your legs that beautiful? Oh, let me tell you, it's pantyhose in a can, baby. Oh drag, drag it. Nothing. That's the thing I love about drag is none of it is real. None of what is real, and this is the lesson that it, what is real is the puppet master. You know me, and I can be. And the gift is that I get to be me experiencing the world with this costume on, not feeling like I need this costume on in order to experience the world. Yeah, it and, doesn't rule you. You are the ruler of it, yeah. And I think as artists, we can get so lost in needing that validation because that's how it's designed. That's how the gatekeepers have designed it. You are one in a million, we control it. I mean, you know, like, yeah. Cattle call auditions, the, the stuff you have to put up with because it's all centered on who has the power. I mean, look at the Me Too movement and and just all of the, you know, the Kevin Spacey thing even is the one that comes to my mind. Like there's so much that we as artists have been 
kept away from our own art because we've been taught that it's only legitimate if it has the validation. Mm-hmm. And I think that can, that, that was what makes the stage kind of a double-edged sword. Well, because also, you know, and not to keep going back to Dragoween, but I was proud of it. And I oh, was so- it was so something to be proud of. It was so good. In my, in my opinion, right? I'm like, we nailed it. It, it was the best thing we could have done. And I got this feedback from a few voices that said opposite. And that clouded the hundreds of feedback I got that said it was fabulous. But all I could hear was the negativity of two to three people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I look back on it, I'm like, you know, there was all, it was already a scandal that I was the director because I'm an ally and I'm not actually, you know, but I had, I had been part of the program since 2011. I know. I, I was more <laughs> a part of the program than half the people in there, you know? Yeah. And, um, I, I think it's when you learn to let go of that exterior noise. And if you do something and you're proud of it at the end of the day, that's what matters. Oh yeah, I think absolutely. And you know, I've learned that lesson over and over again by getting my ass, my ass kicked, you know, by, and you know, it could have been the worst show in the world who knows, you know, but yeah. the point is, is the, ex- the experience of it is what we as artists, you know, we get to walk away with the, the hours of dedicated rehearsal and the relationships that we formed and the fact that we were in the trenches together. And it's like, my favorite thing is like, honey, you're not paying me. So I don't need to hear your opinion. If you're, if you are writing the check, that is paying my rent and putting food on the table, I will listen to your opinion. But I showed up here and we all showed up here with blood, sweat and tears to do the best we could as a volunteer. So your opinion says more about you than any of us, in my opinion. That um, that line from Sissy that walk just popped in my head. <laughs> oh yeah, and your bills, your bills pay them, them bitches. No, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean all day, all day. You know. And I'm sorry you had to hear that because I can tell you for a fact every single one of the over a hundred artists that came together to make that happen. That was what we did it for. Yeah. You know? And. There were so many, I had so many people telling me that like, that was the funniest, you know? Okay, so we, I think we need to tell people. So our theme was superheroes and villains who are in all of these love triangles with each other. And it was just funny. And I played Catwoman, (laughs) I was the narrator. And I was, I was like questioning my sexuality and or also trying to get sober. Like I had just hit rock bottom. And now I'm having to host this show. And it was like, and it was all improv for me. That was the other part. Like I, when I tell you that you pushed me, like not only did you have me write a script with storylines of how Harlequin was in love with Supergirl and Supergirl was thinking she was a lesbian and trying to break up with Batman or Superman, but Superman was a homosexual, but yeah. he was pressing it. And, you know, we used musicals 
songs from musicals that already existed. And like the Joker, I mean, it was just, it was so fun, but you taught me that I could write, that I could dance, that I could host, and that I could be funny. <laughs> like I had never done any of those things before. And your acting chops, let us okay. say. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me with that? You know, I mean, we Ugh. we figured out how to make, because I was Robin and mm -hmm. Shell was Batman. And I did, like, we did this love thing where at the end I leave him. And then all of a sudden we used, you'll be back time people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, there's these little like people coming out and like oh using Hamilton. Yeah. And then we had Superman tap dance to turn it off from Book of Mormon. I mean, it uh -huh. was, you did Heidi by Alaska. It was fabulous. So good. It was so much fun. And you know what? People stayed sober. That's all that and matters. I think that was, that was the whole thing. At the end of the day, like this experience allowed people to really live in their sober selves and to put that energy into something that they could be proud of. Mm -hmm. And oh, yes, I am so proud of it. And, you know, I mean, obviously like everybody got to dress up, right? Oh yeah. But, I and, mean, and it was this talk like- Talk about the costumes. We had a whole Bollywood group come and, but at the end of the day, you know, you said it best, a world where you don't need costumes. Mm -hmm. to yeah. fit in and I think that's that's the thing like and you said too how do you play dress up in your life you know and it made me think for me I I can I can put on a persona right like I'm the perfect mom and but then I'm on or a, that you have you know, to be a perfect mom that I have the idea to that you be. have to be perfect or this yeah. idea that you yeah, you're comparing yourself. Like for me, the biggest thing was comparing myself to other perfect. And I put that in air quotes, people who in reality, right? You're only gonna share the best moments. It's not like you're gonna share those moments where stuff has hit your bottom. You know, what's crazy is one of the biggest things that I've, I'm so I'm just gonna give you my tea, okay? so eating disorder treatment, first time at 18. You know, I gave up college. I used money that I had been saving to pay for treatment. You know, I, that's when I really began my journey. Came out of a closet a year later. And then at 24, I decided I needed to get sober from drug because I went down a dark road, you know, gave up the eating disorder, but the shame was all there. Treatment's not accessible for a lot of people. You have to have money and insurance. And so I self-medicated with drugs and alcohol, as a lot of us do. That's not uncommon. And yeah. I finally decided to get sober. And it wasn't until I met, I came into the rooms where it, there's no cost. You paid the price of admission with your shame and your bottom that I really began to understand that there are people in this world who just wanna see you succeed and thrive and shine and that is who you live your life for. Those are the only opinions that matter. Yes. And it's taken me all 11 years of eating disorder recovery and six and a half years of sobriety. I didn't realize that until quarantine. 
when I had to spend all that time by myself and realize that there was no more external validation coming in, no drag show, no school, no work. There was nothing, there was no, there was nothing to be doing to prove that I was worthy. Cause it's like that voice quieted down. It didn't go away. And then all of a sudden you take all of those things that I was doing away. And it's like, I'm sitting on the edge of my bed <laughs> and it's like, you still have value. Yeah. That was hard. <laughs> So when I say dressing up, that's what I like. I can, I don't need to be in front of people to dress up. I can dress up when I'm alone at home. It's, it's, I think it's a constant dance. It's like recognizing that you're reaching for that, that thing that you think you need to put on or do to be worthy and say, Ooh, I see what I'm doing here. I don't want to pay this price today. I just want to, what happens if I don't put that on? You know, and what's interesting about shame in the closet quote, where that came from is shame was only ever, it was just me trying to protect myself. You know, it was me trying to protect myself. And so, but it's like that friend that tries to motivate you with really mean things. It's like the Regina George, you know? <laughs> It really is. It's like that friend that wants to help you, but has all the wrong ideas. It's like, let's go beat them up. Let's bash in their windows, you know, or like, oh, you hate your body. Great. Starve yourself. You'll be finally good enough. Like when I started realizing that it really was just this bully and that it was telling me that, well, at least in the closet, you'll be safe. But the price was my life. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I think about that. Eric, you are by far one of the most inspiring individuals I've met in my life. And I am so thankful that you are in my life. Same. And you need to be aware that when you do make it to New York City, I will be couch surfing. Okay. <laughs> I'm down. I'm so I down. I'll be there. And I know that during now. Queen and Sober, you started that during quarantine. I did. I So one of the ways in which I know to stay sane is do something that, you know, give away. Like, I feel like for me, I'll keep it for me. I feel like in order for me to give something away, I have to have it all figured out and packaged. And I've learned like, no, the best way to get through something is to just give away what you have you know, to give from what you have and to give with faith, like to unkink the hose, you know, to not live in that lack or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know, the only way I'm going to get through this trauma of losing everything in quarantine is to just go through it publicly. Yeah. We both, okay. So we both bleached our hair <laughs> and we both have bleached hair right now, just all you listeners out there. And Megan was like, I have the best product for you. What is it called? La Lanza. Lanza. And it says treat trauma treatment. Trauma treatment shampoo. And I was like, man, if only you could shampoo trauma away. <laughs> you uh you can't. I tried. Um, but 
I was like, the only way I'm going to get through this is to just go through it publicly with everyone else. And so I created this show where I dressed up in drag and eating recovery center and Pathlight picked it up and teamed up with me. And, and now it's a way I feel to really build a community around queer mental health because we don't really talk about it. It's not something we talk about in the queer community. It's not the fad. Well, I don't think it's just the queer community. I mean, I think it's a lot of communities. Mm -hmm. I think mental health in itself is something that is brushed by. I think oh yeah, are very, we do not. That could be a whole nother show, you mm -hmm. know. Well, um, and I can say this quickly. We don't have a society, for anyone out there struggling with your mental health, like your frustration is valid and real. We do not live in a society that makes room for you to get well. Like even if treatment is an option for you, there's nothing in our structure with work that says, yes, take time off to treat your mental health. Yeah or, you know, we don't have mental health days. You know, we, we're not given what we really need. It's like, if someone breaks their leg, we're not saying, okay, put on a pair of pants and hide it. You don't need a cast, stop using crutches and just like act like everything's fine. But when it comes to our mental health, that's exactly what we do. Well, there's another aspect of dressing up too. How mm -hmm. often do we just, you know, that old saying, which I absolutely despise, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, which I found out that saying was actually meant as an ironic thing because it's impossible to do that. Mm -hmm. So the fact that, you know, boomers have kind of made that a thing when it's already like it was originally ironic because it's not possible. Like anyway. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. It's so funny. Oh, boomers. <laughs> boomers um anyway boomers. yeah well eric thank you for joining us and i love you i love you and too i think thank you're you fantastic. for having me. and please follow him on uh instagram check out queen and sober uh at fk drag thank you i love you i love you we'll talk soon and that was eric Dorsa. We are so thankful to have had him on the show. What an amazing conversation him and I had. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I'm going to end us with our happy thoughts and that'll be it for this show, guys. Um, we're going to take the show out with the Jazza Gals from Schitt's Creek. And I hope that you have a fabulous, wonderful week weekend, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.
Love, 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 precious love.